Welcome to the TieSpeak podcast on TieSpeak.com. TieSpeak brings you inspirational conversations with dynamic leaders of business, music, sports, and faith. After 20 years in the music business building lifelong fans, I'm ready to bring the lessons I learned to you and your business. I want to help you market like a rock star. Shoot me an email at tie at tiespeak.com and I'll get back to you within the day. I appreciate your social shares and I'm humbled that you're taking the time to listen. This is TieSpeak. Welcome to Ty Speak, episode number 15. Today I'm sitting down with Tammy Hurt, the managing partner with Endeavor Sound and Placement Music, a governor of the Atlanta chapter of the Recording Academy and former trustee to the National Recording Academy Board. Tammy is also the president of Georgia Music Partners. Now, GMP, Georgia Music Partners, encourages the state's musicians, music professionals, educators, and legislators to work together to further develop Georgia's music industry. Tammy, welcome to TieSpeak. So, Tammy, before we dive into your professional career, I want to talk about your passion for music and where that really started. You know, it's funny that you asked that. Um, My mother was actually in an all-girl band uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, in the late 60s. That'll date me pretty good. But um, uh, she was in a band called The Body Shop, and they played uh, 60s and 70s covers. And uh, my dad was in an organization, civic organization, called the JCs. And the only way that the women could go to the JC's convention down in Pensacola, Florida was to be the band. So, um, the, uh, the moms rehearsed daily, uh, upstairs in a, in a neighbor's, uh, house and I'm sorry, downstairs in the neighbor's house, the kids stayed upstairs. We we're never allowed to come downstairs until that one fateful day. Um, we were allowed to come downstairs and then if I could recreate it with Martin Scorsese, uh, tomorrow, it would, <laughs> you know, the voices would go, ha ah, and the lights would come up underneath. And from that day forward, it really was, it was that fateful day. That is the only thing, um, I wanted to do was play drums. So when you walked in, was it, did you see a drum kit sitting down there and you're like, okay, I got to go play on that. Or was it just being around the music in general? It was the drum kit. It, it really was. And she, um, she ended up working for a concert promoter. Now I was really young that time at that that time I was four. Wow. So, um, uh, I was a baby. And so it was really the drum kit for me, but, uh, being around shows and, and growing up, uh, at concerts, uh, backstage was, it just, I was in and around it, but I also started playing at that time. I, uh, I think I got my first drum kit at, I was probably seven. So between four and seven, I played on a lot of, um, pillows on the couch and, uh, pots and pans in the kitchen. And, uh, I loved it. So outside of your mom's band, what was your first concert memory? My first concert was actually in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, My mom worked for the promoter, and it was the Jackson 5 opening for the Osmond Brothers. And, you know, the screaming girls and the girls climbing up on the speakers and the speakers swaying back and forth and just the shrill excitement of it all. That's what... You know, I, I was in and around that, and it really, you know, it's I never wanted to do anything different. Yeah. So you so you moved to Atlanta, and then so all through high school, were you playing in rock and roll bands? It seems like I, I would think for a lot of women, there'd almost be like not even something they'd think about. But your mom had already shattered, you know, any sort of. It's not that it was a glass ceiling, maybe a glass barrier of like thinking as a as a woman that I could, you know, play in bands or something. So. You know, the crazy thing is, is that it was never 
ever a question. I mean, I would used to, I used to get uh, pretty good for a girl and it never really bothered me. Um, I'll tell you, there are a couple of good stories uh, about growing up in, in Atlanta. One of uh, one of my first memories of Atlanta was that my mom uh, went to uh, apply for a job at Alex Cooley's Electric Ballroom. And uh, I remember walking in there. It was my mom and my sister and I uh, walked into the room and it had this, I'll never forget the the um, smell of the of the bar. And you know, the crazy thing was, is that I loved it. It was like, oh, this is really cool. It was dark. And, you know, there were these, all these crazy people walking around with long hair. And it was just so interesting and neat. And uh, from that day forward, she, she worked for Alex. And I grew up uh, in Atlanta and went to a lot of shows. Uh, a lot at the Fox Theater, lots at the Omni, um, even at the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And so my mom would... Uh, she did, uh, uh, worked catering and, and writer fulfillment, uh, backstage. And there were plenty of times that she would be friended. Uh, she was there all day. So she was a friendly person and would meet different musicians. And sometimes she would say that her daughter played drums or was a drummer. And this one night, uh, at, uh, at the Fox foreigner played and, uh, I met Dennis Elliott and he set me up right behind his drum kit on a drum throne. Uh, I was uh, hammering out, you know, foreigner tunes, uh, you know, with his drumsticks right behind him. It was just a, it was a cool thing to be a part of. So I got to see all those bands coming through, um, Joe Cocker, Fleetwood Mac, just all the really, really great, great bands. And that's what, you know, that's what inspired me. That's what formulated my musical tastes. And, um, you know, there were, there were always two rules when we were backstage at those shows. Um, first is stay out of the way. And the second is don't get on the bus. Right. <laughs> That's just probably a good policy for any parent to have uh, with their daughter. Um, so I want to make a jump and talk into talk about your career in music placement. But before we do that, um, before we make the jump from from drummer to music placement, I think we have to kind of explain to people what music placement is, because it's for probably the majority of listeners that have no idea what that actually is. So let's let's uh, I'll just give it to you to sort of break sure. it down for people. What what music placement really? Well, is. Well, I give you just a, a very cliff note story. So I had pretty much stopped playing music for a living. Um, and in 2008, things changed just like the rest of the world. And I found myself with a lot, a lot of extra time on my hands and, and started playing out in a band again. It was a very loud experience experimental instrumental rock band. We were playing upstairs at Smith's Old Bar. And there was a woman from CNN in the audience. And she came, she approached me after the show and she said, I really like your band. Um, could you all do some lead-ins and cues for my productions on CNN? And that was the first time I'd ever heard of anything like that. And I said, well, absolutely. Of course we can. Um, at the time, the industry was changing and I had a lot of friends. Um, who, I've been in and around the, the industry for a long time, all my life in Atlanta. And uh, there were a lot of folks, a lot of things were changing. Lilith Fair had canceled and songs were not being written like they were. So you had a lot of artists that would typically tour or go on the road um, or write songs. Uh, they were out of work too and everybody's trying to figure it out. So uh, came up with this idea with my business partner, Nick Dedia, um, who's a wonderful Grammy award-winning engineer and dear friend. Uh, came up with this idea to create music specifically for television and film. And as it just so happens, 
I had a wonderful opportunity to meet a, a, an on-screen director for Fox Sports uh, for Sunday football and unknowingly uh, told him what I was doing uh, before I even knew what he did. And uh, he said, you know, you should send me those songs. When you guys do your first session with your new placement music creative team, you should send them to me. And, and then I realized what he did. So we uh, actually went into Southern Tracks uh, studio, uh, wrote a creative brief uh, for these wonderful, amazing musicians to create anthemic rock tunes that sounded like football to them. And we went in uh, to Southern Tracks on a Monday. Uh, my director friend had it in his hands on Thursday, and Placement Music debuted on Fox Sports uh, Sunday Football on Sunday. That is awesome. Yeah. And for those of you kind of connected to uh, my history with Third Day, uh, there's a little trivia, but so Nick Didia was a mutual connection. He mixed the Come Together album for Third Day, and, I, and that album won a Grammy, which I think was Nick's first Grammy. And um, so he was pretty pumped about that. And then he was also the engineer on our Miracle album. So mutual friends through there. And unfortunately, he went to Australia. So and is, was, doing, is doing really well. Unfortunately it, for yeah, us. Unfortunately he's doing, for us. He was kind yeah. of an Australian legend. What was the band that he produced from Australia? Powderfinger. Powderfinger, which they were so huge in Aussie, not as well known here. But um, yeah, he. Anytime you can live in Australia and work, you're you're like you've won the lottery because well, it's an incredible place. We're really fortunate. Uh, Nick is a, a dear friend and a great talent. I mean, a lot of people would may not know his name, but they know the the third day uh, material that he worked on, as well as you know Bruce Springsteen and Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Rage Against the Machine, and Train. I mean, just it goes, the list goes on and on. He's a wonderful, yeah. uh, talented individual. So. Um, so it was a great explanation of sort of music placement. So all the time in TV and film, um, you're, you're, you might not be aware of it. You think you're watching sports, but you're also listening to music. It's all the bumpers. It's all, so all these things. So music placement, you guys, we want to not just doing licensing. You're going, we're actually going to help to create music intentionally for these spots. Exactly. So there's two um, two things that we do at my company. So there is we create music on demand, but but a lot of times what um, and and most of the time when uh, people hear music on uh, television or in film, uh, also in video games, you know those are some those are music tracks that have been pre-recorded, pre-created um, in a certain genre, and there are uh, music libraries and music music catalogs that anyone can go and license a track. Uh, so for instance, something like, you know, your uh, show here. If you uh, wanted to go like, to Killer Tracks or uh, a number of the music catalogs and download and pay for a license to use that song uh, to be your theme song, uh, then you can certainly do that. Right. So, and just so everyone knows, like, so the track, this is again, a little more third day trivia I don't normally talk about. So the, the, uh, the track that I play, I actually had to get a license to use, even with a song I'm the majority songwriter on. It was a song called Other Side that was on our Revelation album. But, uh, so that's what I use for my little intro and bumper, but you got to go through the proper channels, even for podcasts, even through these things, because, um, it's something that I don't know that consumers always think about, but, um, because music, I think for a lot of times, because it can be such a secondary source, they're watching TV, but there's music. They're watching a movie, but there's music. They're watching a video game, but there's music. They're listening to talk radio, but there's a music bed. Or you're so, watching a, a Facebook video. A Facebook yeah, video. All phone. of these things. Yeah. Music is more a part of our lives than, than ever. 
But in all these ways, we're, we're not always directly paying for it. But at the same time, there was, a, there was an artist, there was an engineer, there was someone who's writing the music, someone who's recording the music, all these people that like that's their livelihood and that's their work to, to create this music, this art for other people to enjoy. And so part of what you're doing is like you're you're monetizing that for people and making sure that, that those artists and musicians are, are getting paid well, for that work. you made a good point. It really is about ha- getting permission. Uh, you need permission from the artist and, and also the entity, sometimes the record label or sometimes the artist who owns the master recording. Um, so we have about 700 uh, licensable, pre-cleared tracks in our library um, available for licensing of different genres. We have the the Moscow Philharmonic Symphony. Uh, we have uh, independent artists from uh, Canada. Uh, also, a lot of local artists here from from Georgia uh, that we that we have uh, listened to their music. We decided that we'd like to represent it. And then you asked how music gets into those commercials. Uh, there are individuals in the business called music supervisors, and the music supervisors are typically hired by either the corporation um, or the network or the film studio to go out and find music that fits the director's vision. So uh, you may be uh, you may be in contact with a music supervisor, and that person is really tasked with going out and finding maybe thirty or forty tracks that the director has described might fit a certain scene. And so basically, your music is up against thirty or forty other pieces of music. And uh, when you I mean, imagine, and I, I love watching this, you can even check it out online, but there's a, there's a YouTube video that shows what would happen if you changed the music in Jaws. And, you know, like you could even make it sound comical to the point where uh, it changes the entire feel of the scene. So it's really critical, especially in film, a lot in television, especially now on uh, Netflix, uh, a lot of custom programming going on there. Uh, but that's really called the underscore. And that's what uh, that's a lot of what we do. So I should say, as, as people are listening, there is a little underscore happening now of a drummer playing. So I should say we're <laughs> recording this at a rehearsal space uh, at, a, uh, at a studio crossover entertainment um, here in Atlanta. But we're not going to pay for that. We drum might beat. need to go get permission. Yeah. No, we're just not going to pay for that one. We're going we're gonna to say that we're the only ones recording it. We'll just, we'll just uh, say it all evens out. It's ancillary. But um, I want to ask you, so you, um, you've created this yeah this uh, career and the and this business and um, but then you've also taken your time and you've really committed your life to board service to serving the larger music community uh, community um, through the recording academy so and I know that's gone from just being on the board working your way up through the officer ranks all the way to just you just finished um, was it two terms of service on the as a trustee? That's right. And so, which they, uh, which then you you have to roll off the national board. So all the way through local through the national board. So talk a little bit. What was that kind of that motivation to get involved and serve on the recording academy board? Well, I'm a huge advocate for music in the schools. I'm a, a product of uh, the Georgia music public school system, and uh, if I hadn't had music growing up. Uh, my life would have been far different and and not as good uh, as it was. And so uh, there was an opportunity. I had heard of a, a program that they were doing uh, music in the schools, as a matter of fact, down at Clayton State College. And, and I was just so interested uh, to see what they were exposing young musicians to. And it was, it was fascinating. And that's really kind of what hooked me. Um, I then got involved uh, on the local board. And at the time, uh, the National Advocacy 
initiative was just happening uh, with the Recording Academy about uh, talking about musicians' rights and having musicians paid uh, adequately and appropriately um, in Washington. And I went to an event called Grammys on the Hill. And, uh, you know, if you're a, a Recording Academy member and you go to Grammys on the Hill, it'll, it's, it'll probably be the thing that uh, seals your fate to be a member of the Recording Academy forever because they do such important work uh, representing musicians up in Washington um, for copyright reform as a, many, many, uh, for many, many reasons. Um, and it, it was so important to me that I got uh, very interested in the Academy. And as I, you know, continue to be involved, you're right, I, I served on uh, as, as a board of, uh, or on the board um, as an officer uh, as secretary and then president and the national trustee. And so now I do serve on national committees helping to to shape and guide what our membership is going to look like. And I think the uh, everyone knows what the Grammy Awards are for one night a year, but I always say that those of us on the board and in, in service for the Recording Academy are typically involved mainly in the other 364 days and all the wonderful programming that uh, that they um, that they do. I just I can't say enough great things about it. There's so many so many good things. But the other part, um, we when I got involved in advocacy at the chapter level, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Simon Simon Horrocks uh, who has a music licensing company called Affix Music. And at the time, there was a, a big uh, film and TV incentive passed here in Georgia, and he was looking into that incentive and wondered how it might affect music. And the answer was, well, it kind of doesn't. So uh, we formed Georgia Music Partners out of a subcommittee of the Recording Academy Atlanta chapter, and that has taken on a life of its own. Yeah. So I want to I want to go back a little bit, connect the dots, and pick right back up there. So just following your journey. You're growing up. Your mom's playing music. You get inspired, a ray of light over the drum kit. You're going to play drums. You're exposed to all these cool shows. You go into music. You're playing. You make this transition and find this, uh, this new professional outlet and way to have music placed in television and video games and, and films. You build this business, decide to give back on the Recording Academy board, do just years and years of service that you're continuing to do, get inspired by national advocacy. And if that's not enough, you say, you know what, some cool things are happening here in Georgia with film that have, we're gonna drill down on that because it's resulted in just billions and billions of dollars of revenue for Georgia by that was all the lead domino was these tax incentives to attract the film industry. And you kind of started with this question of going, well, why not music? And from that, you're, you're now committing even more time to make that happen. So talk about uh, just Georgia Music Partners and why it's so important what you're doing. Well, thank you um, for asking about that. It's it's actually a $7 billion business. The figures just came out. So it's it's phenomenal. What the, the film tax incentives have done for film and television production is really phenomenal. And I'll back up for you know one step and say, when I became president of the Recording Academy Atlanta chapter, I really felt like I had a responsibility to do something positive for the members of our chapter. And looking at all of the success of film and television and, and looking at the potential opportunity for music to grow right alongside that, to me, it's, it's a, it is an enormous possibility and, and one that, um, while Georgia Music Partners does focus um, on those tax incentives, it's not the only thing that we do, but it certainly does give us the tools to do what we want to see done here, which is to improve and grow the music industry holistically here in the state. Yeah. So what is your, what's a 10 year goal? Have you, have you set that? Do you have that in your mind of, 
Um, I, I love a part of on just kind of my leadership journey and these books I read, you know, it really, it really starts with you. You're starting with the why and then how you're going to do something and the what this idea from Simon Sinek. And then a lot of when I read these leadership books, you know, it's talking about the importance of having a mission and a purpose. But what we really learn is that like a vision without a, without a strategy is like hallucination. So a lot of times it's like you have to start off by going, what's the picture? What are we really trying to achieve? So what is it? What's that just that big, hairy, audacious goal, the beat hag? What are you what are you really trying to accomplish with Georgia Music Partners? Well, I'll tell you, you, you look at cities like Nashville and Austin and you look at, and see what collaboration and cooperation between, you know, public and private partnerships, between, you know, government and private businesses, um, you know, when there's a, a lot of um uh, I guess hands across the aisle. Um, you can, you, you really can make a difference. Uh, music can make a difference. So, so the immediate goals of GMP are first of all more jobs in music here. Um, TV shows are filming, uh, films are shooting here, and every one of those productions needs music. Um, so we want more jobs. We want more studios in which to um, create that music. We want more opportunity in uh in in adjacent industries so for instance you know if we grow the music industry obviously it grows the entertainment industry in georgia and holistically grows gaming film tv commercials and music all together and then lastly is more music in the schools um i was a, as i said a, a product of the uh public school music program and it's it is important in so many ways uh, obviously, we know that kids who study music do better on test scores and are more engaged in their classes and have a higher graduation rate. So for all those very reasons, but also we look at Georgia Music Partners as being the conduit. So if you're a, if you're a kid who uh, loves music and loves video games, you know, hopefully there's a career track for you in that and in, in your passion and uh, that makes you more successful. So ultimately, go to a school in Georgia. As a matter of fact, there are 48 post-secondary programs in Georgia teaching music or music business. Um, we're doing a great job of educating kids and students out of our college system, but we need to make sure that we retain that talent here because we want them to be placed in jobs that are here in Georgia. I, I look at a, a stu iconic studio like Ocean Way in Nashville, and Ocean Way has completely uh, morphed their business model. model. Ocean Way is recording uh, scores for video games, two and three sessions a day. And what that did is it attracted Electronic Arts and Sony to come and set up next door, which ultimately will employ the students graduating out of Belmont. So it's a um, uh, music is like a beacon because what it does, a, a creative community definitely adds value to the city, to the county, to the state culturally. But also, it's been shown that a, a thriving music community also attracts the young and talented millennials that are the talent for the other businesses that develop in the state. That's awesome. So a little trivia since you hit on it. We actually recorded in Ocean Way. Uh, we recorded a song with um, Stephen Curtis Chapman and Bart Millard from uh, Mercy Me. We recorded a song called I See Love in Ocean Way before it became like this full time uh, scoring station. Beautiful studio in Nashville. That was a it was a converted church, right? right. That they had. Um, so it all ties together, right? Through faith and music and business, all these things, right there. So one of the opportunities I had just this last week, I went and spoke up at UGA for their music business program, 
And it seems like that's a, a challenge that, you, that you're addressing is that um, we have these great programs, especially in our university system. When I look at the state of music education in Georgia, I think it starts getting really good in high school and it gets really great in college. Um, I think it's severely underfunded in the middle school and elementary schools. And so I've spoken with a lot of college music professors and they say, you know, the result of that is by the time they get to college, you know, they're almost behind of where they were like 30 years ago. They, there's some catch up that we have to do in the college. But a problem that we have just as a city is that someone who wants to, to be in music business or a music professional, um, though we, we do a, a really good job educating them. I, I would say almost as good as anywhere else or as good as anywhere else. But then we kind of export our talent. Uh, to the rest of the world. Like Georgia, there's something in the water. Like we make great artists, great, uh, great musicians, great, you know, great music professionals. But then a lot of them are having to move to other cities to really further their career. And it seems like that's the problem that you're really tackling and, and, hoping, and hoping and helping to, to solve here in Georgia. Well, a couple of things. So clearly you look at Nashville. I mean, there are decades uh, decades and decades of, of history there and, and a lot of success. And, and But really, the ecosystem is there. First of all, people like to go to Nashville. I like to go to Nashville. It's a cool city. Um, there's plenty to do. There's lots to see um, between tourism, between you know music venues themselves, uh, the history, um, just so much to do. But moreover, the artists that are there have management companies and uh, accountants and banks and law firms that support their business. So, you know, if you're getting ready to start a tour, it's very convenient if you're in Nashville, you know, well down the block is your manager. And from there, there's your tour accountant and right, you know, down the street a little bit further. Well, there's your merchandise company. So you have to have the ecosystem in order to attract and, and maintain and, and, uh, and keep those folks here in the state. Um, we've had a long, rich history. We've had uh, uh, definitely peaks of that, obviously, with Capricorn down in Macon and LaFace Records and Dallas Austin and Jermaine Dupri with all their uh, successes uh, here in the, in the 90s. But Tammy, so many of those examples are from the 90s. What do we do now to have a renaissance of Georgia music? So you want to build an ecosystem. So um, incentives can help do that. Um, a couple of things that we had proposed in the last legislative session um, were the pre-tour rehearsals and also sound recording incentives. So basically, right now in Georgia, if you're a studio like Disney, uh, if you record your music in Georgia for the same film that's shooting here, you actually get a tax incentive. The, the studio gets a tax incentive for doing that. Um, it's being completely underutilized right now because not a lot of people know about it. Film production is going great. Post-production presents a little bit more of a challenge. So uh, post-production, uh, a lot of the times, because there are relationships, long-term relationships that have been built in New York and L.A. that have been doing this for a long time, there's a, you know, there's a, a timeline and a budget and a, a comfort level uh, of doing business with the folks you've done business with for so long. So music is a part of post-production. But the good news is, is that you can still record your music and post-produce anywhere. Uh, we have such talent here. It's so diverse. Uh, our, our music uh, culture, I mean, we have hip-hop, we have uh, CCR, uh, 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 Christian rock, we have gospel, we have country music, we've got electronic, I mean, we have it, all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but what we want to do is we want folks to utilize the talent that's here. So that provides jobs to 
our, our studios, our producers, our engineers, and the wonderful, wonderful talent that's here. So we want folks to come to Georgia and record their music here for the, the, the productions that are being shot here. But in addition, what we'd love to be able to say is we don't really care where you shoot your movie, but come to Georgia and record it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so uh, those, that's one of, our, uh, one of our ideas. One of the other ideas is to um, incentivize large tours. So, uh, you know, uh, after being in a band and, and being on the road for many, many years, uh, there's a rehearsal that takes place before a tour starts. And sometimes some of those larger uh, tours uh, will come to a different city uh, and set up shop and stay for anywhere three to six weeks, not unlike a, a large uh, film production. Uh, they'll bring a, a, a crew of 125 people. Um, they'll set up the rehearse. They'll hang the lights, uh, the sound, set up the stage, and also take it down and practice putting it in a truck. Because before you take that out on the road and tour around the country for uh, six months, you have to make sure that uh, your crew is trained well to do that. So we would love to see those tours start in Georgia, uh, utilizing uh, places like the Macon Coliseum or the Augusta Auditorium. Uh, that would uh, provide a, a, a great deal of, of economic boost to, to you know, a lot of the cities around the state. That's awesome. What I love is, so on your journey going from musician to um, to then creating your own business, to then this these years of service, and now you you see this opportunity for Georgia music. You're you're serving tirelessly to make this happen. But what it entails is lobbying. You have to go to politicians, and I'm just so proud of you as someone like I think musicians. We're so you know it's like musicians never want to see like the blue lights of the police. We're like intimidated by <laughs> by law and order and politicians, and you have gone like I am going to just own this and do this. And you've commissioned studies and. And you're having people draft legislation and you're meeting with these lawmakers and you're doing it like a boss. You're just you're owning it, doing it professionally. And really, um, every musician, every person that's part of the music business ecosystem in Georgia should be grateful and thankful for the work that you're doing. So I want to say thank you for what you're doing. And I think it's just so cool just on your own journey, because I think maybe speak to that just along the way as your as your life has taken these different twists. Um, there's a lot, a lot of the stuff you've done there, there would be very easy to go, um, to be afraid to do it, you know, to be like, well, I'm not qualified to do this. Cause like, let's face it. Like, do you, do you feel like you're qualified to do it? No, but you're going, I'm going to do it anyway, because if not me, who? That's exactly right. And if, if anybody would have ever said to me, you know, wow, you're going to be interacting with politicians and lobbyists and, you know, dealing with legislation, I would have told you you're out of your mind. Um, this is something I became very passionate about, but I have to say, it's not just me. I mean, we have a, a wonderful board um, that has worked tirelessly. Uh, many hours people have come, people have gone. There are people on our board that are that have been there since the beginning. Uh, Michelle Kaplinger and I were uh, co-founders of Georgia Music Partners. Mala Sharma was uh, really quick to follow. Um, but, you know, we have great board members. We have people that are so dedicated. So it's not just me. Um, and, and we have sponsors. I mean, we do have folks that believe in what we're doing and understand that if we were able to, to really grow, meaningfully grow the music industry in Georgia, whether, whether that's incentivizing 
people to come to Georgia and write songs here. I mean, I look at something like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, Otis Redding uh, wrote that song. And the copyright being in Georgia, that revenue stream will forever be in Georgia. So that's really something, I mean, whatever shape it takes, however we, we deem uh, it possible to grow the music industry here, uh, you know, it's, it is fulfilling to me because this is where I grew up. This is my home and it's, it's legacy for me. I mean, I started out at four years old, uh, in music and it's something that I see that we have the opportunity to do. The model has been proven with film and television. Um, and we have a lot of dedicated people that are pushing really hard. There's a, uh, I should say too, the, um, there's a joint House and Senate Music Study Committee that's coming up that's going to be holding hearings around the state. Um, there'll be testimony from folks in the music industry about what could help their business. You know, what can be being done to to help grow the industry in Georgia? And um, we have some great members um, of our board. Uh, we have some great Georgia Music Partners members that are serving on that committee. Um, but what I want to do is encourage, as you said, anybody in the industry to get involved because this is going to take a village um, to, to, to do anything uh, like this. Uh, and again, I look at the film industry. We were very fortunate to have three of the, the architects of the film bill, uh, their advisors to Georgia Music Partners. So we've, they've been guiding us all along the way, and we know it's possible. And it's one of those things that, you know, we've worked long, we've worked hard. And if we continue to to, to be able to forge ahead and accomplish some goals. It's not necessarily about accomplishing the goals. It's what those goals can do. If we leave things better, uh, you know, better uh, the way we found them than we did our job. And, you know, this music community is, is so, um, you know, uh, so close in my heart. And uh, that's why I do it. And, and I want to talk fortunate. about that. I want to talk about your, your why that you do it, because it just strikes me in knowing you is, so much you spend so much time and so much energy um just working tirelessly um to serve this this larger music community and i just want to know like so what drives what drives you because it's really um it's really and it's inspiring i think I, I see a lot of servant leadership in you where you're just, you're leading out front you're at, you're not asking people to do something that you're not doing you're you're going hey join me on this and join it for the future but you're not it's nothing that you're doing and, and all these things that we've talked about it's not put money in your pocket <laughs> you know <laughs> you know that actually More, maybe the opposite yeah right the opposite yeah, right. right and you look at you know your time your talent your treasure that's all we have and you're you've you've committed all three of this but really for the future for other people. So what motivates you like to, to, to do that, to go? Cause I know there's gotta be moments where you say like, gosh, I just want to go to the lake. This is exhausting. Yes, there are. So, <laughs> and especially, you know, without, you know, no one gets involved in politics at all without inviting just a whole lot of frustrations into, the, into their lives because things move really slowly and there's and there's games you have to play and, and adequate which are like contrary when you're a rocker it's like man let's just get this done you know let's set up the drum kit and start playing <laughs> and now you gotta you gotta you gotta play in this world so what what is that why what is what is this thing that just drives you to to commit your life to this I really do think that that if you leave things different and better for people coming behind 
behind you, then you did your job. I mean, that's the truth. And and this industry, I mean, I look at, I was so inspired um, this week. I went out and I was a, a judge, a, a panelist for uh, an uh, open mic showcase. And the young talent that was in that room that felt, you know, at 20 years old, like they could go out and change the world. Well, I'm not 20 anymore, but I still feel like music can change the world for the better. And I, you know, we have such an opportunity right now. And, and that's what drives me because there's already been a measurement. There's already been a model that if you, you know, if you aggregate the resources that are at your fingertips, um, I mean, I, I, again, I, I just look at, at the film business. It is phenomenal. The impact, $7 billion impact that the film industry has had. I look at the 20,000 people in Georgia that are in the music industry and that industry right now, the music industry generates a uh, revenue of $3.7 billion. And that's with no incentives. Nashville generates $10 billion with no incentives. So imagine Georgia, our talent. So imagine if, if Luke Bryan and Jason Aldean and, and the songwriters that are in Nashville were actually in Georgia or in Atlanta or in Athens. Um, and we built these music cities, imagine what that would look like. I mean, we could, uh, we put Georgia on the map every day. The artists put Georgia map on the map every day, um, you know, being digitally distributed around the world, um, being on tour around the world. And it's our, it's our really our greatest global asset in the state mm -hmm. to be able to do this. So I look at that and I say, you know, if we harness all these resources, we really can make a difference. We can be impactful. Music can change it. And we can provide opportunity for those coming behind us. It is amazing because even when you listed a few city names, when you listed Macon, I immediately, I immediately think of the Almond Brothers. And when you listed um, Augusta, just talking about the venue, it's like, so I think Augusta, I go, okay, the Masters and James Brown. Uh -huh. It's like the the influence the impact culturally that a musician can have on their hometown, even if they spend most of their time on the road, just but where they're from um, can really build a legacy. And it, it is one of, of Georgia's greatest treasures. I mean, our, the list of Georgia musicians, I know, you know, you talked about these experiences growing up in this, uh, you know, and, and meeting Farner and playing drums with them. But I, I know even as I was starting to play music, just the fact that R.E.M. was from here, and then the Black Crows were from here and driving and crying and the Indigo Girls. It like it kind of planted the seed that like you could actually have a career in music where I think someone who's growing up in, you know, Iowa might be going like, you know, hey, I, it's probably not even a possibility. But but, you know, people that grow up in Georgia, you go, man, you know, and, and regardless of the genre, you go, we got Usher and Outkast. And there's all these artists that I think a kid growing up here is going like, man, you know, this is could really um, be viable. But along with that, it's not just the, the artist, there's the, the manager and the booking agent and the caterer and the tour manager and the, 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 the audio and lighting. There's all this business that goes around them. And I think what I love is that your work is building a bridge for um, for some, for the, the people that are children now who might go like, man, having that inspiration that we have or this, see that they want, just want to be around it. They want to be a part of music that what you're doing is creating this bridge that's going to allow them to, to build that opportunity here in Georgia. Without a doubt. And I think, you know, we have to create the next generation of legacy artists. I mean, we talk about our rich history and it's fantastic. There's a lot going on here now, but you know, what are we going to say in 25 years? What was happening in Georgia, you know, 
25 years from now when we look back. And I think that, you know, to your point, um, you know, when you when someone sees five people standing on stage having the time of their lives playing in front of a crowd of 30,000 people, you know, for every person on stage, there's 30 people behind them. So you're talking about a crew of 150 people that make that thing happen. Um, those people love music just as much as the people standing on stage. And there's a great opportunity to put instruments in kids' hands, to give students jobs, and to, to really be impactful economically here in the state if we just aggregate the resources. And that's what drives me. I see the, I feel like it's the, it's almost the, it's the fertile ground and the perfect storm right now. I believe that music can absolutely be the tipping point to uh, Georgia not just being a film and, and TV destination, but uh, an entertainment hub. I love that. And so just one of the leadership principles that I've really learned this, this last year is that when you're trying to achieve something big, that, you know, your your enemy is complexity and your enemy is distraction. And you have to get laser focused on this is what I'm trying to achieve and this is whom I'm here to serve. And I feel like you've really done that. But I want I want to just ask you, it's like it's uh, this is probably more personal, but it's like there's a cost to that, especially as you go in the political realm, because, um, you know, we, we all have opinions. It's a political season. You know, we're friends on Facebook. There's this Facebook feed. And I I just can't help but think all the time. I'm like, I bet Tammy has an opinion on this, <laughs> but kind of a cost of of putting yourself out there and this legacy you're trying to build is you have to pick your battles. You can't say, I'm going to have an opinion about everything, even if you do, and just save it for a dinner party, right? Because you're going, hey, just as sort of a public figure leading Georgia Music Partners, if you have an opinion opinion on all these other issues, you might lose your ability to have credibility with these lawmakers to achieve what for you is this big lifetime goal. Well, absolutely. And and you need to be uh, Switzerland uh, when you're dealing in politics. You really, you know, you'll never see, I mean, Georgia Music Partners is, is out. Uh, we do have a mission to grow and improve the music industry in Georgia. And, and that's, you know, that's bipartisan. Uh, we don't, uh, sh we're not, we don't show favorites. There's no, um, there's no right or wrong. Um, you know, our job is to gain consensus. Let me help you with that for your messaging. So going yeah, go forward, ahead. don't say that anymore. What was that? So there's no right and left. There is right <laughs> and wrong. What's Thank right you. is That's to get good. behind Georgia music. You know what? Don't I be love on that. the wrong side of history. I, I love that. But I'll tell you one of the things that, that has proved to be one of the greatest challenges because, you know, we as music people are independent, you know, and independent thinkers. And it's, you know, what to, to, um, to really galvanize and aggregate the entire music industry behind a, a, you know, set of ideas. Everybody has their own ideas. And I, I again, I, I continually reference the film industry. They got behind one set of ideas. And then what happened is all the other ideas were able to come to light. Once that glass ceiling was broken and, and once that, you know, that was, that barrier was shattered, you know, suddenly, you know, you had an entire industry that, uh, was able to enjoy the benefits of the work of the people that, that pushed that through. So, you know, one of the things that I um, talk about at times to uh, a lot of musicians, a lot of musicians say, I don't understand why, you know, what tax incentives for large tours or, you know, recording music that, uh, you know, is going to have to a certain spend of, you know, $150,000. I don't understand how that's going to benefit me. Well, what that does, if you, if you even, again, look at film, uh, you know, the, the large studios are receiving an incentive to come here and shoot their films. 
But what that does is it provides opportunity for the entire community and entire, the entire Georgia uh, constituency. So it creates jobs. There's direct impact of people working on the set, but there are other jobs of people in hotels and carpenters and people that drive taxis. And so suddenly it's not always just about what can this do for me? It's what can it do for the greater good? Mm -hmm. And I look at that, you know, for the industry and the rising tide really does raise all the ships eventually. Um, even if it's not tangible for, you know, you personally and individually, independently, right at first, it's the right thing to do to leave it better and different than we found it to make it better going ahead. So, Tammy, if someone's listening, first of all, it, you know, certainly if they're in Georgia, if they're at all connected to music or if they just love music, can you just give a little bit how they can get in touch with you, how they can find out more about Georgia Music Partner? Absolutely. Well, the easiest thing to do is follow along socially. So we have uh, we're very active on Facebook. That's probably where we put most of our um, up to the minute uh, information. It's GA Music Partners. Um, both on Facebook and Twitter, but we do have a, a really great web page, uh, website. It's um, uh, georgiamusicpartners.org. Um, it's like an encyclopedia. Uh, we have a great blog that we do update, and you can see all of the work that's been done and all the wonderful people that are involved. Uh, we have a, an incredible uh, creative advisory circle that includes um, John Hopkins from Zach Brown, uh, Matt Still, who's the producer for Elton John, um, Brandon Bush, uh, Katie Deal. Uh, we have just a, a wonderful group of individuals that have come together. Uh, you can see what we've done and where we're going and where we're headed and um, you know why it would make sense for somebody who would be interested to get involved with us. That's awesome. So I want to I want to land the plane a little bit. I know for maybe for a lot of listeners, this is uh, this is probably the deepest dive we, that I've done right so much into music. Um, but I think there's some big overarching lessons that I think anyone can take, even if they're not involved with music is um, I think you have to start by looking for those light bulb moments of inspiration. And then you got Then you got to you got to get behind those. You know, when it when you see that when you feel that tug in your heart that man, I, I got to play drums, you got to follow that. But then also that you don't have to lose that spirit as you translate, you know, as you translate that in a way to to find commerce and to do it there commercially. That's an art unto itself. And there, there can be opportunities to translate your your passion into enterprise. Finally, what I loved, such a big lesson from you is to commit yourself to serving others, is that your legacy is ultimately left in in the opportunity that you're creating for the future. And then finally, I think there really is a big lesson that when you're really committed to something that you need to stay laser focused on it. Because if, you, if you're committed to everything, you're committed to nothing. And you've done such a great job of really just raising this flag, calling on the rest of the music community to salute it. And I know that in the coming months and years that you're gonna accomplish some amazing things. So thank you so much for being here today on Ty Speak. You're very kind, Ty. Thank you for having me.